Okay, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa, and I give a shit. I give a shit. I do. I do. And it's a really hard time on this planet to give a shit about anything. There's so much shit going on. Um, What I'm really focused on today, and I guess maybe you guys are thinking about this, what stands out in front of me is the health care bill, and hopefully uh, it will get run down. I don't know what's going to happen. It makes me anxious. A lot of things make me anxious because if you know me at all, you know how neurotic I am, which is why I'm a fake therapist, but um, trying to work that out. But... uh, we're all nervous about it, and uh, it's all very anxiety-producing. But I want you to know this. I'm with you. We are all together. You and me and all of us are going to look out for each other no matter what. So fuck them. I have a extremely... I am very honored to have this guest on my show today, Uh He's uh, somebody that I met. You might have heard me talking about um, this um, art art fair that I was in uh, called Spring Break, uh, where I had like a fake therapist office. I did 100 therapy sessions in six days. But I also had a great opportunity to meet a lot of amazing artists. And there was only one artist, actually, that I invited that I met to be on the show because I thought you guys would particularly enjoy him, and that is Cosmo Vinyl. Cosmo. Hello there, Dr. Lisa. Nice to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited. Also, I, wait, I just, this is a counter-transference that I want to get over with first. First of all, I was a little nervous because, let me just tell you guys, Cosmo is kind of, kind of, a big star in a certain way, because... I don't know about that. Okay, Uh, so Bit of an exaggeration there, folks. This is, okay, be quiet, Cosmo. I am going to tell everybody. So Cosmo, um, besides being an incredibly talented artist who made these, he had a whole room that was bright pink with these incredibly graphic, hilarious um, comic book, 1950s comic, cowboy comic book illustrations with really, really funny messages about, um, you know, about Trump, about uh, the whole Trump thing. Uh, hilarious. It's on, I posted it on Facebook, um, but you can also find it at Cisco Kid versus Donald Trump.com. That's C I S C O K I D V S Donald Trump.com. So, anyway, um, but I got to chat with him a little bit, and it turns out that um, at a p- t- at a point in his life, he had been a manager for bands such as The Clash and Ian Dury, people like that. And from that time on, in the mid-80s, and correct me if I'm wrong, he uh, fell in love and had children and then left the music business and uh, fell into being an artist, correct? Sort of. Well, yeah, it was, it was quite a fall, but um, yes, I fell in love and I'm still in love. And uh, my wife and I started a family. And during that kind of transition time, um, I became an artist. I won't say by default, but it just seemed to happen. It came out of you. Yeah. yeah. Well, it is by, I always think it's by default. You know, I mean, it, it, it is for me. Like I, I was, you know, I, I was like, I don't want to be an artist. This is stupid. 
I don't, I want to make money. I want to, I want to, I want a job. So, right. Well, I, I can't say that I was you, looking for a job. But. <laughs> no, no. But you had it in you and it came came out. You can call it default. You can call it natural, whatever. Natural. You're a natural. You didn't like that, go like, I'm going to go to art school, study art. I'm going to get an MFA and then become an artist. You're a No, I didn't know what an MFA was. So that yeah, was I don't have one either. Oh, and I want to tell you the call in number, folks. It's 718-928-9732. Dr. Lisa on Radio Free Brooklyn. So anyway, um, anyway, uh, Cosmo has been on like, you know, uh, so many things and been in the public eye in a big way and stuff like that. So it is like rare to have somebody like that right, right, right here. And so, but here's the counter-transference. The counter-transference is that I was surprised that you seem so excited about being on this show. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Here we are in underground Brooklyn. It's fantastic. We're in this clandestine basement with a big boombox and flashing lights and wires everywhere. And I feel like we're we're going to overthrow the government I, or something. It's really exciting down here. There's a very cool African sculpture in the corner. And there's a record shop upstairs. And yeah, baby, right yeah. on. So anyway, I just want you to know that I was just in the way of counter-transference. I want you to know that I was um, very flattered that you seemed so enthusiastic. But flattered and shocked. Okay, so that's me. I just want to put that out there. Yeah, no, 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 I, I like to respond. You know, right? You know, yeah. Yes, yes. So um, as I as I spoke as I said to Cosmo before we started in the studio just a minute ago. Uh, I had a few questions that I wanted to go over with him about um, being involved in the rock business at the height of the rock business. But we're not going to really talk about that because, first of all, we're really much more interested in Cosmo's art, which is incredible and very current and very of the moment and very him in the moment. So that's really relevant now. But I also want to, like, find out about him as, like his transition from being uh, in the music business to making a commitment to a family and a, and a wife and all those things that music business people don't do or are typically in it, the stereotype. It, it is a hard thing to do. It, it One was aware or I was aware that there's very few people that one met in music that had kind of family lives that you would really care to emulate. You know, I'm not saying... <laughs> so I'm not it's saying true. It the stereotype it did, is it true. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's very hard. And um, it's also because uh, it requires a certain kind of focus, you know, to, um, to do that. If you're going to kind of really like, or back then com- compete, for want of a better phrase, in music, you've got to really be focused. And um, strikes me that if you want to have a... Uh, a great family life. You've got to be focused on that too. So I hear I don't that, kids. See, hear I that? Don't see how you could compete the the two. But obviously, you know, it, it's not impossible. But I would say unlikely. Right. That makes perfect sense. And uh, I like I like the integrity about family that um, you you certainly seem to you know that uh, we want to get into that. But let me ask you some really dumb rock and roll type questions, and we'll get it. We'll get it over with. Okay, so first of all, what's your real name? It's not Cisco Vinyl. No, my real name is Cosmo Holton Vinyl. Oh, Cosmo Vinyl, I meant. Cosmo Holton Vinyl? Yes, and that's changed from when I got married. Before I got married, my name was Cosmo Vinyl, 
And since I've been married, it's Cosmo Holton vinyl. I took, you took my your wife's wife. name That's as well. That's awesome. I'm a modern guy. Just you like are a modern guy. So, um, before but you're then, also you're wondering like, before then. Before then, I had another name, what, but it doesn't what name matter. You, oh, okay. Matter. So that's your legal name. Okay. All right. All right. And your legal... Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, Passport says Cosmo Vinyl. So we uh, haven't got that changed to the Holton bit yet. But slack on that. Okay. So we'd, we'd have to, like... Uh, we'd have to ask... We'd have... But there is another name, but there, there but was. There's probably a reason. See, we're not even going to have time for all this because there's probably. See, now that would make me want to talk about why you decided to change your name and what happened there. Well, it worked. Let's say that. <laughs> well put. Um, so I just want to know, like, this is always this is something that always mystifies me. What it would be like. So you introduced. The Clash at Shea Stadium? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So was that the biggest audience in front you've ever been in front of? Or what was it, was, it was the second biggest because we also played at Los Angeles Coliseum, and that was 100,000. I think Shea was 60-odd thousand. That was 100,000, and it was in the afternoon, and I actually asked the audience if they had any jobs or schools to go to. It struck me as weird. 100,000 <laughs> people. It was a weekday. And it was like, I was like, this is California, baby, right? Everybody's just grooving around. Nobody's got to be anywhere. So what does it feel like to be in, on a stage in front of a crowd like that, a crowd that big? What right, is it's that? amazing. What I mean, is it like? No, I, 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 is there I, a certain energy that uh, is just... It's just amazing. I, I mean, I just, I just kind of... Managed to take a moment to just kind of take it in and and do it, but then then you know you want to you want to make sure you do your job. You're out there to to right. you know try and wind it up a little bit. You know, so so you basically focused. yeah. So you're basically in the moment. You're not thinking about the crowd. Not too much, but I did take a second before. Yeah. Do Do you feel like a special sort of energy off of that when you get off? Oh well, I mean, do you think the musicians do? I don't, well, they have to follow it up, is what I always used to tease the clash, you know, well, you've got to follow that now, you know, but they would hit it pretty hard. No, you're usually, for me personally, because that's kind of, wasn't really my gig, but I was emceeing, yeah, right, right. but wasn't my main thing. I mean, once they're on and playing, you've got a whole set of issues to deal with, you know, so oh, you're, I have no immediately idea. you're yeah. concerned, is the, is the sound right, is the, is yeah. the, is the this yeah. right, is the, yeah. so it's kind of gone, you know. Oh, I see, it's you kind of panic gone. mode, that makes sense. I don't know but, panic mode, but concern. It, well, that, I would be panicked, I'm you know, projecting. I mean, <laughs> right, you know, something's bound to go wrong at some point, so you're trying to stay ahead of it. Um, but I have this theory, tell me what you think, I have this theory that, uh, that part of the reason that, you know, rock star, rock musicians and uh, comedians and people that perform at that level wind up taking like a lot of drugs or something like that or Michael Jackson is because there's just this kind of unimaginable force that you feel when you get off stage that's hard to come down from. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's just that. I mean, that, that, that can be the case. Um, and my experience is kind of limited to a certain group of people. You sure. know, I'm not... I've no experience with, you know, somebody of Michael Jackson's caliber or right, whatever. Right, right, But But, you know, there is that. To, but that can also go the other way. You know, sometimes it's like no good, you know, and you've you're, you're, you you played a duffer and everybody feels bad. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and the Clash were particularly hard on themselves in that, uh. in, that, in that light. I mean, if it wasn't any good, then there was no kidding. There was no kidding. They would, yeah. post-mortem was, was a very serious 
I mean, yeah. for them. No, because I mean, I know like how I feel in front of thirty people if it goes well or bad. But then you get, then you get, then you get some downtime. So, and I actually think you're saying that the whole drug thing. Personally, I think one of the problems is is the amount of time. Do you know what I mean? Oh, because you're, when you're when you're on the road, there's not you're only performing like maybe a, a couple of hours every other day or every well, day. Even if you're every day, and just in general, I just think you know, and and if you're trying to the, the mix of time and money yeah. strikes me as a recipe for 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 mischief, and then which mischief can often lead to disaster. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I think that I think those are the bigger culprits. Yeah. So I want to focus on, I wanted to focus on, but now I'm kind of curious about, so here's two things and you pick one. I'm kind of curious now about your name and your name change and um, because there seems to be something really emotionally um, interesting to me um, about why you don't want to talk about your name and what happened in your childhood. Or we could do what what I was originally thinking about talking with you about in depth, which is about um, what, it, what, what your experience was that made you want to commit to your family and children. So why don't you pick it, Cosmo? Uh, well, I'm going to pick the second one, but I'm going to quickly sneak back to the first one. I did not have a terrible childhood, and it was, uh, I thought I needed a, a zippy, groovy name, and so I got myself one. Uh, because um, were you were you nerdy or, or something? No, not nerdy, but just not not enough. You know, you're what? looking for looking for the right thing. Anyway, we won't dwell too much on that. Okay, we'll okay, go to my favorite right. subject in the world, my family. Okay, so h- how did you like? What happened? How did you transition from being um, in the music business to your family? Well, I don't know that it was a conscious transition, but I fell in love, and. Um, we, my, I married my wife, and she very much wanted to have a family and be a mum. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, you know, keen to do that as well. And it just kind of, it just happened, you know. It did just you, happened. Did, did, At first, I thought maybe I could do both. And then I'll tell you what happened was... My eldest boy was at school, and I don't know how old he was. He was old enough to write. So he's probably like six years old, mm-hmm. something like that. And... Um, I saw one of his journals with his teacher, and at the time I was going from New York to Atlanta to uh, produce some records in a small studio, nothing fancy, but mm-hmm. we, we were having a go down there, and I was enjoying it. And uh, I read my son's journal, and um, he was written to his teacher about how it was such a drag when I went away, and that how he had such a great time when I was around, and then I would go, and then it wouldn't be the same at home anymore until I came back, and... Like how he missed me, and um, it really struck me as uh, as uh, I don't know. It just really moved me, and I thought, like, no, this is no good. This is wow, no good. that's intense. So, so that kind of pushed me to wow. Made me realize how that much were you away? Were you away like regularly? Regularly, but not crazy amounts. But you know, even if you're gone for like say a week or six days or whatever it is, you know, like a week, a month. Would it be like that? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. That's a lo- yeah. No, that's and a lot. Was, that kid. I, I could. I just completely saw it mm-hmm. through his prism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I completely saw it, and I just thought, this is no good. And then a couple of things happened after that. The studio I was working in went belly up, and I just thought that you know what, this is the time. This is the time to make the change. But also, like, there must have been something in you that um, made you lean. To, towards having a fam- 
towards having a stable family life. Like, I mean, had you dated, were you, I mean, you know, the uh, stereotype is in the music business, of course, is in those days particularly, you would have been like sleeping around. Were you, I mean, how did you, how did you settle down with one chick? Well, um, it coincided with the clash ending and um, obviously I'm not going to get into the psychoanalysis of that, but, <laughs> but just to say that like that ended. So you're kind of, you're not in your old gang anymore. And then I moved country. I moved to New York from, from England. Mm-hmm. Um, politically, I kind of escaped the situation there. The combination of Margaret Thatcher being reelected and the outcome of the miners' strike left me very dejected and angry. So I, I upped sticks, as we say, mm-hmm. at, from London to New York. Mm-hmm. And there in New York, um, I reacquainted myself with a young lady I'd met before. And it turned out she wasn't seeing anybody. And uh, we started dating and we fell in love. But had you had, like, other girlfriends before? Or yes, had you I, dated I, a lot? Yes. I, so had you slept around? That's what I want to yes, know. Yes, guilty, Your Honor. No, not guilty. That's not that we don't make it. This is the thing. We do not make value no. judgments. When, when one is when one is on the road, uh, I mean that that there's something that doesn't always happen, but very very often happens. And you know, women, that's part of that lifestyle. So women proposition everyone. Well, you, there's the a band. certain amount. Yes, there's a certain are, amount of glamour. Yeah. To, to, to the lifestyle, and there's certain kinds of people. And you're a nice-looking guy with a British accent. Let's exactly. just say it. Exactly. <laughs> and so, a great sense of style, by the way, folks. And I'm with a whole bunch of good-looking English guys. Yeah, you're part of the crowd. Yeah. So you're so, in line. You definitely you're so, in line. So you know, so people, you know, people are attracted to you, and you're attracted to people, and you have fun together. And I don't mm-hmm. think, you know, for the most part, I don't think anybody is um, being misled in any way. Ah, so it's just like let's party. I yeah. think a lot of it, a good deal of it. Is do that. you think? And you then, think, then, then the, you maybe get into situations where it starts to get a little bit serious, but um, maybe you kind of like don't want that. I remember when I first met my wife, she asked me if I was married, mm-hmm. and I said I'm married to the Clash. Ah, which was true. Was she? How did you meet her? We met in an after-hours club on a weekday at in, about in five a.m. No, in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend, the photographer Bob Gruen. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. Are you friends with Bob uh, Gruen? Yes, we're old pals. And he, he often quotes uh, us as an example of whenever people say nothing good came out of hanging out in after-hours clubs, he says, have you seen Cosmo and Jennifer's kids? They're great. <laughs> <laughs> Who says nothing good comes out of that? And was your wife, uh, you know, a quote-unquote groupie? I hate that word. No, my wife was not a groupie, and I wasn't. I, was I hate Bob that Gruen. word. It's so it anti-feminist, is isn't it? It's just a crappy word. And, you know, I... I'm like starting to feel like, and I I haven't thought about this before, but I realize when you talk about, when I'm talking, asking you about women in those roles, the stereotype of women have as like groupies has been horrible for women, hasn't it? Yeah. Because what you're describing is women that just want to have fun with the rock stars and want to have sex with the rock stars and want to do whatever with the rock stars. And it's, it's not just that. You're not always, I mean, you're in, you're in Paris 
yeah. in a nightclub. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They don't necessarily know your rock stars. Do you, do, yeah. do you know, do you yeah, know what I mean? You're in Paris. In a, you're in yeah. a nightclub. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Everybody's having a great time. Yeah. And, and, and people gravitate towards a little bit of... Uh, sure. It makes sense. Physical post-disco activity. But it's not... It's not... It's portrayed as disrespectful to the women, and it's not, really. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. There is something, there's something that doesn't sit well, right about the word groupie, and I think there's a whole kind of exploitive kind of victim-y kind of, you know, and, and I'd like to say that, that the, the, and the, the core of that kind of unpleasantness is kind of was, was, was pro- whatever the word is, was promoted, however you would say it, propagated, I, I lack mm-hmm. language, um, by, by a certain type element in the um, music industry of which I was never, yeah. ever had anything you to don't do with. You seem like that, that kind You of, know, this kind yeah. of hard rock, heavy metal yeah. kind uh, of, like, yeah. you right, know, right. and it goes right back to the okay, kind I of... Okay, I think we've deflected some, yeah. some hate mail here. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so, maybe. So, so. Um, so what was your wife doing at that time? Um, my wife was a waitress at the Limelight. Wow, that's cool. Club, and that was... That's why she was in an after-hours club, because those people right. would get off work at four. Right. And then they'd need to go to somewhere to hang out themselves. Right, right. And then What's some after of After hours club, can you say? Of course. AM, PM. AM, PM. I'd never been there, but I heard of it. <laughs> right. And she was also, um, and it still is a writer. A oh, writer? What does yeah. she write? She uh, writes plays, and uh-huh. she's working on a screenplay at the moment, and she has a regular job so that... Our family has health insurance. Oh, nice. So mostly fiction type stuff. Stuff she makes up, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so so when you met your wife, was that very separate from, I mean, so I'm learning here. So like, you know, having fun as on a, with a band and chicks is completely different for you in, as opposed to meeting somebody you liked. When I, when I met my wife again, I I I kind of had had felt that I had done that. Do you know what I mean? Right. I, I mean, right. You got it I, out of I your system. I was not looking for another. When I stopped working with the Clash, I was not looking for another band to go on the road with. Right. Right. I was not. I was feeling like I I had done that. Right. You were satisfied. Yeah. There that was no no curiosity left there. Did you had you had other long term relationships before then? Um. Not. Not. Substantial. Mm-hmm. Kind Did of, you get into the music business when you were like in high school, college, age? Um, well, I didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was 19 when I started. Right. I was a so kid. That, that was kind of what you knew. Pestering kid. Yeah. 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 So what kind of family did you have? What, what were your parents' marriage like? What were they like as parents? Well, um, I grew up with my father. Um, so I don't really know my mother. How did you not know your mother? Well, I don't want to get into too much okay, detail about fine. that. Okay, that's fine. But but having said that, I will say um, I grew up in East London. Um, I, I was very loved and I suspect spoiled mm-hmm. because I was just with my dad. Uh, you know? Did you so, brothers? So, I, so, um, so we have other, I have sisters through other partial relationships. You know, half-sisters. Half. Well, I just think of them as sisters. Oh, so we're I don't, getting a call. I don't like the word step or half. It's like half-sister. Yeah, well, I know what so you mean. So what half Bonus. do you have? Bonus. What half do you have, you know? Bonus is a good word. Bonus. Well, they're sisters to me, you know? Yeah, but also because I'm a stepmother, I'm going to start using this term. 
I heard it somewhere, bonus. Like you have a bonus mother, like an extra mother, a bonus, not there a you stepmother. Go. So I don't like the word Do you want step. to take this call? Should we sure, take it? yeah, just see what happens. Hello. Hello, you're on the air. Well, hi there. This is all very interesting, but I'm really curious to hear more about Cosmo's artwork. I was wondering if he, maybe he could talk about that. Sure. Who's calling? My name is Sean. Sean and Sean. Hello, Sean. Are you an artist? Hello, Cosmo. I've I heard your show at the uh, Armory Week went very well. Oh, and, thanks. Uh, I'd love to hear more about Cisco Kid versus Donald Trump. Were you? Were you at? Uh, were you, this isn't Sean Fader, is it? No, no, no. Oh, okay. So, um, well, um, Cisco Kid versus Donald Trump. Atlanta. Yeah, I was, I was only able to follow it on the internet. Oh, you were in Atlanta. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, um, I I would love actually to have Cosmo talk about sure. his work. Okay. Uh, why don't you? Um, because I love his work, and I think, and I'm glad that you called in and asked about it. So let's well, let's do you. that. So why don't what what in particular were you um, thinking that you would like to know about it? Well, I know that uh, protest art has a, um, a long history. Um, in fact, a lot of English artists, such as uh, Hogarth, is one of the artists that started it. So I'd like to know what inspired Cosmo to um, create this new series, because uh, previously I just knew about his soccer-related art. Okay. Yeah, well, you know... So you're a real fan. I could, I'm a real fan. Yeah, he's great. Fan. Good for you. Fan. Oh, he looks yeah. so happy. You know what, Cosmo... Um, I, uh, your name is Sean. Sean, Sean. Yes. Cosmo looked really happy when you comp- when you when you said you were a fan of his work. Of course, you of course. like more oh, more than when I had him talking about like his, his the music. He's definitely into his art. It's great. I love it. He's sure. So so let's talk. To be. Okay, go ahead. Let's talk Cisco okay. Kid. Um, Cisco Kid versus Donald Trump is an appropriated comic strip in the sense that uh. I didn't draw the pictures. I took the pictures or borrowed them or, or enlisted appropriated. them. Appropriated. That's them. the art term, right? That's the art term. Must use the art term. <laughs> and and, and um, I have changed them to uh, fit my purpose, which was to protest at the time the um, nomination of Donald Trump as uh, the Republican candidate for president. I, in fact, didn't wait for the nomination, and I started it on June 1st. And I was very confident that come November 10th of last year, I would be finished, as was I thought Donald would be finished. And I'm sure a lot of us felt that way. Absolutely. So, so I was doing these strips. Um, at my son's suggestion, I chose Instagram as the messenger. I had done uh, a five-year soccer art blog on, on, on like a regular website. And I was keen to do something that would... Would, would look a little different or, or, or the, the two would be separated in some kind of visual way. And so my sons, Jack and Charlie, suggested Instagram. So I went with a kind of oh. a one punch, one panel, one image uh, for Instagram. And, um, and I, you know, I uh, made points using various characters from the strip to illustrate the uh, Things that I felt needed illustrating, and and basically for me to protest uh, with what I thought was this, um, and still think was this awful human being um, about to gain a position of power. Well, as we all sadly know, um, Donald won 
the election or the electoral vote. I think they called it over here, right? <laughs> Not the most votes, but the, the votes that you need to do this thing. Electoral college. Correct. And so I wasn't sure what to do. And then uh, a friend of mine visited from California, a pal of mine named Rudy Fernandez, and he's of Mexican descent. And he said to me, you can't quit now, man. We need Cisco more than ever. And so he made me decide oh, to keep wow. going. because I wasn't, I wasn't sure that week what to do because I, I really – I'd done this five-year soccer blog and I really didn't want to get into another long-haul thing. And, and being all smart-ass, I was thinking like, well, I'll do Cisco, kid, and I'll start it in June and I'll be finished in November – and then I know what I'm doing. Just so you know, I think it's worth noting that the work that um, that um, uh, why am I? Oh my God! I keep thinking your name is Cisco. That's okay. <laughs> like, you can whenever. call me Cisco. I got really nervous, you and can, then I like got pretty I, damn I, like, close. Got, yeah, but anyway, um, the work that you did before this was all uh, sports related, right? You're a yeah. real soccer fan. Yeah, and you're real. You're on soccer, so. So you went from doing sports-related art to political art in a like in like one full swoop, right? Yeah, that's a big much. deal, the, the, and the, I just want to make that point. The, the soccer stuff—it's um, for a blog. You can still find it, but it's not active anymore. But the work's still there. It's called "Is Sage Your Daddy?" A piece of cryptic East London um, graffito from my childhood, and it's all about me and my soccer team, West Ham United which is not only my soccer team and my son's soccer team, but was my father's soccer team yeah, and no, my grandfather's soccer right. team. Right. No, I mean, that's amazing. So, so it's so all culture. That, right? that, yeah, but it, but, it is, but it is a really big, dis, uh, a, a fairly sudden, at least on the superficial level, departure. So go ahead. I want you guys to continue talking about the work. So, yeah. So, um, gosh, where was I? I was talking about sites. So, so, yeah, so I, I did this five-year soccer thing, so I wasn't looking to, to get in for another long haul. Mm -hmm. But now I feel that, like, um, that um, we should just have to see where all this goes. You know, I, I personally, right now, today, don't think that um, the president is going to be the president in, in, uh, by the time the next election is called, if it was to be called under regular circumstances. Knock on wood, and we have a wood table right I here. I think he's going down. I think he's going down, too. Sean, do you have any uh, anything else? Oh, Sean, one I forgot you. One can, one can only hope, right? Yeah. Vive la resistance. Were, were there other things that you were curious about? Well, I was wondering if the show um, or the work will be shown anywhere else, if there's any plans right now um, outside of New York, or is Instagram still the best way to follow it? How many Instagram followers? You must have a lot, right? No, I have a few. I don't know. It's not. You it's don't not know that many. Yeah. I, I, I just kind of. Well, just you will do it. now because we're but, all going to start. Right, it. but um, as far <laughs> as showing it anywhere else, I would really like to to show it um, anywhere and everywhere else um, under the obviously the right circumstances. I don't have any plans now. Um, a guy named Mark Anderson, who's an activist in the D.C. area very much wants to bring it to Washington, D.C., and that would kind of be nice. That's, that's appealing to me. Have, have you shown in galleries much? Have you gotten into no, that scene? we got to get you. I have not shown is... in galleries, really. I've shown in London, and um, I've shown in Decatur, Georgia, and I have a show coming up in Athens, Georgia, because I have a pal there lives just outside of Athens, but that's mm -hmm. different stuff again. That's postcard art. Uh, postcards, which but, is a whole other body of work. Yeah, right? but I haven't as yet. Um, 
Only, you know, I've not, not been shown in galleries Did you much. make any good connections? You must have at spring break. Did you have any interest from a gallery or anything like well, that? Well, I don't Seems have like... anything specific at but, this but point in time. you must have seen, like, yeah, did you get the feeling? People mentioned it and said they'll be in touch. I mean, I have to be honest here, folks. It's very hard. This was my first kind of a, a function like this, a fair like this, the mm-hmm. spring it's break a big art fair. art fair. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it. And the feedback yeah. was fantastic. Fantastic, it's, yeah. It's really great because... Um, when you're doing something via the internet, um, there's a little distance there. You know, you can't, um, like somebody will send you yeah. an email, say they like it, or send you a heart or something. But it's not like seeing people like look at it, sure. you know, and talk about sure. it. Sure. So, so that was exciting. Um, so this is kind of new territory for me. And then various people come up to you and say various things, you know, I want to get this or I want to do this. And I have no idea. I, you know, I take mm-hmm. people at face value mm-hmm. and I'm polite and... I guess we shall see. But maybe what I'm saying is maybe you're kind of new on the scene, so people be it w- would be a good way. For, that was probably a great way for people to become familiar with your work. Oh, I'm very, very, very happy so, to have done it. Yes. So I'm very hopeful for for your work being shown around here. Uh, hear that, folks? Look at that. Well, Dr. certainly Lisa in Bushwick, hopeful. but hopefully in a lot of places. So, uh, Sean, are we good? I, that's great. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I appreciate okay, that yeah. call. Thanks Thank you, a lot. Lisa. Thank you, Cosmo. Good Take luck. care. Keep the faith, uh, brother. Yeah, right. Thanks for Talk listening. Thanks for listening okay. to Radio Free Brooklyn and Dr. Lisa oh, yeah. Gives a Shit, the best radio station in the Western Hemisphere. At least the Western Hemisphere. Yes. Maybe the whole wide world. Who knows? Have a great day, Sean. We'll talk to you later. Call anytime. Thank you. That was nice, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. That was great. I'm yeah. glad we got to talk about your work more, too. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, so back to, uh, so that was a really, that, that really uh, that stuck with me, that moment that you had with your son in the, in the, that, uh, you know, journal that he wrote. Do you think things, do you think that you would have under, I mean, I think it's hard to be, a, I have no idea what it's like to really be a parent of a young child. Do you think you would have figured that out? And do you think that really, that was like a moment where you just, I, I, a life-changing moment for you? I, um, a life-changing moment, definitely. Um, would I have figured it out? I'd like to think so, but I don't know. But I, I just kind of believe that these things, you know, like your kids kind of, they do their bit, and they kind of lead as well. You know, I, yeah, I, right. I, I, I if you're in touch with them. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a it's a it's a one way kind of right, thing. Right. But, uh, but but I was aware that um, it was moving fast. You know, and that, that if there's any young parents out there, pick them up while you still can before they're too big and they can push you away. Yeah, it happens because fast. It goes really really fast, yeah. and then before you know it, you've got two grown men living in your apartment. <laughs> And you're like, hey, that sounds good. What what happened? Two two of your sons living in my apartment sounds good uh, to me, Cosmo. Well, I'll tell that you might that. Be, that might be good for you. And and I'm happy. I'm happy to have them at home. Although one's one's a fellow Brooklynite out in Crown Heights. Now. Oh, how old are they now? They're 25 and 20. 25 and 20. Are they close? Yes, very. Yeah, I bet they are. Very. So anyway, I wanted to go back to your childhood. So what was your um what. You know, so did you, well, I guess, so you grew up with your father. Did you ever know your mother? Did your father have any girlfriends? What was your family like? Well, I don't really go into that too okay. much because um, 
to you know protect the innocent and all that sure, kind of, of stuff. Sure, of course. Not so much to do with me, but my father's no longer with us, and um, I don't want to say anything that might upset somebody oh, about okay. something that was later on. But he was. Did a good, you have an extended? He was a great guy, mm-hmm. and he you was had a, a good brick, relationship. He with was him. a bricklayer. And warning to all you smokers, he died at 66 because of cigarettes. Mm. So you want to think about that. Not a pleasant subject, but think about it. And um, he, was a, he, was a, he was a great guy. And I grew up in a very blue-collar environment. Um, mm-hmm. my, you know, my family were mainly construction-type people. And before that, they'd been dockers. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very blue-collar world mm-hmm. um, with very little interest in art or literature or anything mm-hmm. like that. And I really didn't discover much to do with that world um, until I discovered music, really. Mm-hmm. Did you um, feel close to, like, your... Was there an extended family, or was there, like, a neighborhood that you felt part of? Or was there, was there, uh, there a was community extend- feeling? There was, extended, there was extended family. So, you know, my aunts, uncles, cousins, you So know. you had a sense of... Because I get the feeling like you had a real sense of stability and love yeah, at I, home. Yeah, absolutely. I was, yeah. There was no way. As I say, I may, have, I may have had it easier than some kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. See, that's what, I'm, that's what I was thinking that, like... Um, and I'm glad to hear that, that um, is that, that you had some really positive reinforcement about, um, no matter what, who cares what the actual details of the circumstances are, uh, but you did have like a really good sense of family, a positive sense of family and community and of, that and you brought that, yes. that you were able to, I bet you brought that to the clash. I, I'd like to think, I'd like yeah. to think to some degree that, that some of that may have, may have come through, you know. Um, but, yeah, and there was a feeling back then. I mean, I was born in 1957, so I'm 60 now. So I'm really a child, although I'm a baby of the 50s, I'm really a child of the 60s, you know, in the sense right. that I'm aware in the mm-hmm. 60s. And there still very much was a sense of community. And, in fact, my soccer work to do with West Ham is really, it's really a trying to make a portrait of a community as I knew it. It's kind of a love letter to... Um, to the world I grew up in, um, that, that artwork is not really about football at all. It's about that. And, and there, there, was, there was a sense of belonging and there was a sense of community. And um, it's something we're really, really lacking today. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's caused us all kinds of problems and we have all kinds of problems because of it. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to paint some kind of rose-tinted image of the past <laughs> absolutely horrendous <laughs> things going on horrendous <laughs> behavior horrendous things but people weren't isolated they weren't isolated they seem to know each other and my concern now is that everything is making us more and more isolated that mm, convenience right. makes you more isolated you know yes. it's like um i waited for the bus last night and it's a pain waiting for the bus, and it's cold, and I'm up on 110th Street, and I'm waiting for the bus. And it's, but when I got on the bus, you know, you feel kind of like part of the people that get on the bus <laughs> late at night. There was a sense of community, and then I started thinking about all the buses I've been waiting for my whole life, you know. And um, because um, me and Charlie Watts, we don't yeah. drive. We oh, don't yeah. drive. No, yeah. no, we don't do that. Not interested. 
me and Charlie Watts. Ever. <laughs> no, never. Not even vaguely interested. So, but that sense of community, we're all so, you know, like getting tucked into our own little, oh, I'm only going to watch the four channels I watch and I'm only going to listen to the three mm-hmm. hip-hop DJs I like mm-hmm. and I'm only mm-hmm. going to read these two writers. And we're, we're getting too narrowed down. And I so think, do you feel like social media is isolating then? I don't know if it's just that social. Well, I mean, I'm, I know that's a very specific yeah, area. I, I, I don't feel qualified enough to know. Do you use it courses. a lot? No, it, I don't. You I don't, don't use, do you use not, it. Do you don't like it? I I email, and then I use the house phone. I I don't use the cell phone very very often at all, mm-hmm. especially now the kids are out of school. Don't have mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. Um, I do like writing letters, mm-hmm. and I am a world champion postcard sender. In yes, fact, I know. I've declared know. myself a postcardier. <laughs> which is top, oh, I love that. top of the line postcard person. <laughs> so I like to communicate and I like to talk to people and I like them to be there. And when they're there, I like them to be present. And a friend of mine actually recently said to me, he said, that, he said one of the great things about seeing you, he says, makes me put away my cell phone because you don't have one. I feel embarrassed to check it while I'm talking to you. Oh, that's good. So maybe got, I've got, just sort something here. How mm-hmm. about people meet up sometimes and they both leave their cell phones behind? I would love that. Can you talk my husband into that? I can't talk anyone into anything, <laughs> I don't think. But, um, but anyway, so I want to hear, um, so, so you had like a really strong sense of family. And then what happened with music? Did, how did you get into music? I just, you know, I just pestered this guy. These guys. Yeah, but what, there must have been like a moment where you like heard music and you got into Oh, absolutely. No, as a kid, I become, I become unusually enthralled. Um, it was a fantastic period, the uh, 60s, to be growing up in. Mm-hmm. So there was um, a great deal of uh, fantastic, fantastic music on the radio all the time. And then um, there was a period in my life where I had a, a stepbrother that horrible word, but I had a brother. Bonus brother. I had a bonus brother for a while, and he was uh, a mod, and this would have been in the Mm mid-60s. And him and his pal were very much obsessed with black American music. Oh, wow. And um, that kind of rubbed off on me, and and that's kind of like the foundation of my, to this day, of, um, of, of, of my world of music. And I just became... I just kind of jumped in the deep end. And then as a teenager, I mean... So what kind of... I can... saw The Faces, which was a rock group oh, yeah. with, with Rod Stewart on vocals, right. Ronnie Wood on guitar, and Ronnie Lane, most importantly, on bass. They were no good once Ronnie Lane left. Um, I saw them play 31 times. Oh, my God. What kind of nut does that? Wow. You know? And as a kid, and I bought a ticket to every time. I didn't even get in free. Wow. So I was, you know, I was really into it. You know, I was, uh, records were my, I, I, people used to look at me at school like I was a nut. I had like 14 LPs or something. And all my friends had like one or two. You know? <laughs> yeah, now, right. Like, you were a he's nut. He's got 14. Uh, yeah. He's a record nut. I believe it. You're a pretty intense, uh, so multi-layered I was a person. Confessions of a record nut. Yeah. So, um, I like what, I thought that was interesting what you said about um, that you were drawn to black American music. Yes, yeah, so very what, much so. What, what music was that, and what, what about it interested well, you? Well, I mean, what well, I guess people referred to at the time, I guess the two big factions would have been soul music, um, which would have been like Stax and things like that. But Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, Booker T and the MGs, the Memphis thing, and then Tamla Motown, which for some reason was never, was never commented on as anything but Tamla Motown. You didn't say 
Tamla Motown was soul music. It, you just said like Tamla was Tamla. Mm-hmm. So, so those would have been the two big, mm-hmm. the two big things. And and that was was that pre Beatles? No, this would have been about the same time. Well, oh. the other thing that was going on with the, with the East London mod contingent was that that which also stayed with me for a long time was they did not like the Beatles. Interesting. They did not. Why? Were, what was David Bailey's great quote? Four idiots from up north. <laughs> they were regional, you know. They weren't. They weren't. Everything wrong about them, you know. So, so um, was there some authenticity? I mean, obviously, you know, with your background, you have a working class authenticity. Um, and is there something about that that you identified with in uh, black music at that time? Did was there uh, a certain think- kind of cultural authenticity that the Beatles didn't have that that had? Well, I think I think it it becomes very apparent very quickly that uh, if you're looking for what I would refer to as maximum emotional impact, um, if you play like Otis Redding or something like that, and then you play a Beatles record, it's right. like, one's pretty kind of wishy-washy kind of yeah, 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 and the other thing is like really trying to to to, to emote, you know, to really, and so I, I just think that that language of emotion, and I wonder. I don't know if this is true. I just wonder if the, the English, having been so buttoned up as a culture, you know. Uh, right, repressed, we like to say. Repressed, uh, which I think is a good thing. And, and that kind of, in England we had class rather than race back right. then. You know, right, and probably yeah. still do. But we have race as well now, but, or they do. But um, class, but it's still very buttoned up. You know, you've got the, 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 the kind of, the, 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 cartoonish stiff upper lip posh guy you know whose leg's been blown off and he's oh never mind you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and but but i grew up in a blue collar very working class environment and there the men didn't show their feelings you mm. know they it, it was considered weak mm-hmm. so i wonder if there was something in this this display of raw emotion ah. that 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 that, that that fed, gave us the thing we didn't have. Do you know what I mean? Totally. So you you feel like as um, in your environment, I mean, you're obviously a really, you know, sensitive, creative person. <laughs> I'm very sensitive if you don't mind. Don't cry in here. Just don't okay. cry. <laughs> I can't handle it. I'm All not right. prepared. Uh, so anyway, uh, so it feels like um, I'm wondering if, like, you had this whole stiff upper lip, like background in that you were actually a really sensitive person and then when you found that music you were able to f- identify it was sort of maybe a manly way of being emotional yeah i'm i'm not exactly sure i mean i still haven't figured all this out but that's uh, why we're here now exactly so <laughs> we're the on the doctor's business minutes. exactly <laughs> Let's get, um but you know definitely i mean you know as a kid i'm listening to um otis redding so i've been loving you too long you know and it's just, I mean, it's still fantastic, you know. Yeah. So I, I definitely think it, 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 it fed something that wasn't being fed. And I think that, that, that you know, that, that that might be a reason that, that, that you know, that, that, you that, that music. And, and it wasn't obscure. I, I don't want anyone to think this was like an obscure underground. I mean, you Otis know. Otis Redding is popular. Yeah, he <laughs> was very popular in it. You know, James Brown. Yeah. All these things. But they, they, they perceived that as being like. The real deal, and the Stones were okay, and the Who were okay, and uh, you know the Small Faces were cool because they yeah. came from our our yeah. neighbourhood. But but they weren't really cool. Like these these guys' c- c- conception of music was that you know that white guys couldn't really do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're in America. I mean, we have sort of felt that way as well to some degree. I mean, 
you know. Yeah. Having said that, of course, all that other stuff that people like was going on. Mm-hmm. And in my later years, um, um, I did realize the influence that, you know, the Beatles obviously had, you know. And although I'm not their biggest fan, to put it mildly, mm-hmm. um, you know, that obviously phenomenally, phenomenally important and phenomenally mm-hmm. sure. um, influential. So, mm-hmm. so, but at that time, I was definitely in the don't like them camp. So, were, were, when, like, when you were your soccer friends and stuff like that, those guys, they, your, your mates, as, is that's the right word, right? That's right, mate. So, were they not emotional? Were you all, like, not allowed to have them? Like, was that something that you weren't able to express that I, music I brought for you? I think maybe because I, I didn't really, until I started mixing with musicians and the people that musicians um, kind of hung out with that um, you didn't really, yeah, you didn't really see. Like, so, like, like crying was, was definitely like something to be, to be derided, mm-hmm. you know, something to be laughed at. Are you a at. crier? Um, I, I don't know. I don't you can have cry. A, I can cry. I don't um, think I've ever seen my husband cry. Right. Which is crazy. Yeah, no, I... I I'll I cr- make him cry later. I cry, and then, you know, in these crying times, it's a miracle mm-hmm. we're not crying all the time. <laughs> this is true. Um, and that's Cisco, you know, better to laugh than cry sometimes. <laughs> so I also think it's interesting that um, your perspective on, like, you moved, I mean, the the music that you're talking about that you first identify with is American music, and then also you moved to America, and now the work that you've been here since the '80s, so you've been here a long time. But the the work that you're making now is all about American politics. But also, it's like Trump and American politics today, married to married with uh, uh, 1950s Western comics. Well, I wanted to um, when Trump was um, on Saturday Night Live um, as, a, as a host. Um, I was appalled, and I felt that, that being as he'd already made the statement about Mexicans being rapists at that time, ah. um, or I thought, I think, I think I'm I, correct. I like to call him Clown Car. Okay. Well, well her Trump, um, I just thought, what a terrible state of affairs that um, this man can do that, and then he can be on, he can be on a host on this show. And I felt that if he had said that about black people or Jewish people, um, uh, network would have sprung into action and he wouldn't have been on the show. It would have been mm-hmm. done. And I thought, so these people have no power base. The Mexicans have no power base to do right, that. Right. Or they're not organized enough to do that. So I was looking for somebody to come to their defense. And um, looking around, um, I thought of Cisco, who was introduced to me by the group War. The record that Cisco yeah. did was a friend of mine. Oh, uh, yeah. So I started war. researching the Cisco kid. Oh, I see. And and I oh, found him to be I found him to be very suitable. You know, and I found a version because he is um little history here, folks. He is in fact a O. Henry creation, the wow. Cisco kid. And he comes from a short story called The Caballero's Way. Whoa. In the early nineteen hundreds. Wow. That's free that's free that, that history there. So so O. Henry Created the Cisco Kid, a mean version of the Cisco Kid, and he's had many versions mm-hmm. since then. Um, a guy won the Academy Award playing the Cisco Kid in the late mm-hmm. 1920s. A really? guy called Warren Baxter. Oh. Uh, uh, all I know about him is, is that he's handsome in the photos. 
<laughs> just good enough. So what does a Cisco kid um, represent to you? Well, Trump, Trump, her Trump, he always has this thing of going back or his theme seems to be going back because I was really right. approaching it as he was running to, to, you know, as he was running for, for president. And so I wanted to go back as well. And I thought it was kind of like a choose your weapon. So you're going to go back. Well, I'll go back too. And so I thought this Cisco kid is just the right kind of guy, the, the Robin Hood of the range, hmm. as somebody once hmm. called him. So would you say that he's like kind of, um, you know, like a manly man with good values? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a manly That's man. A he's, a, he's a cowboy in a cowboy. 1950s strip. Um, but... but I, I mean, I am is he a protector. Is he a protector? He's a protector. He's an honest guy. He's a ladies' man. He's uh-huh. handsome. In the version I use, he smokes. And, he, you know, the, later on he's in a TV show and then he's kind of kid-friendly and, and right. whatever, whatever. Right. In my version, the, the, the over, you know, the original strip, he's, he's, kind of a, he's, he's kind of a bad-ass do-gooder ladies' man. Hmm. Hmm. Which I kind of figured yeah. was what we need. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Yeah. We would. We women like that. That sounds. That sounds good to me. You know, we only have eight minutes left, um, and I want to remind everybody, and I want to say thanks for listening to Doctor Lisa Gives a Shit on Radio Free Brooklyn today. Um, but we only have eight minutes, and I want to hear like about your your boys a bit. I want to hear about like what 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 how you you know what. You know, I, I'm kind of curious about your influences on them and how you guys relate and what they're like a little bit. And um, well, they're both—they're both obviously they're my sons, so I, yeah, you I love, love them. them. <laughs> I love them very, very much. And you're close to them. And we are close. And one is a New York teaching fellow, so he's a school teacher in Williamsburg. Wow, teaching middle schoolers English. So one is doing that, and the other one is a student at Hunter College in New York City, and he's getting involved heavily in stuff to do with the future and urban planning and environment oh, wow. and stuff like that. And also, he's also interested in writing. So my youngest boy's dilemma is whether to save the planet or be Woody Allen. And I'm thinking, <laughs> can't, you, can't you combine the both? You know, can't you be... You know, I remember years ago there was a, they were spending all this money on movies and, and one was the Muppet movie and one was to Raise the Titanic. And, and at the class, we all talk like, why don't they get the Muppets to raise the Titanic? <laughs> and then that'll be a much better movie all around. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, <laughs> so, we've got screenwriters yeah, there. So, so that's maybe, a great idea. But anyway, so they're, 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 both, they're both great guys. And um, I do this thing on Facebook. I'm allowed to say that, right, on Friday yeah, mornings? You can say anything. Right. Um, I'm, it's called Vinyl of the Week. And I pick one record randomly every Friday and I stick it up on Facebook and um, this last week it's been uh, Run the Jewels from RTJ3 um, track called Down but anyway they're both they're both very big Run the Jewels fans that's absolute top top of their list at the mm-hmm. moment is uh, RTJ but no I am um, when they were kids we live in a railroad apartment they um, when they had a bath I I had them Sonically, so they would get in the bath, and I would pick the music. And so while they were splashing around in the bath, they could do nothing but be exposed to music. So I went through everything, you know, 50s rock and roll, um, glam rock, Lucky you know, Tamla Motown, Soul, what? the Beatles. They got into the Beatles, so I did the Beatles. Kids I like didn't, you. yeah, absolutely. And that's 
kind of magical mystery tour stuff is kind of the best stuff. So, so then from that, they just, they just, um, they just, you know, kind of grew into having music around them all the time. My wife, Jennifer's a big fan of the American songbook. So they know all that Frank Sinatra, Billie oh, Holiday, wow. all that stuff. But we listen to a lot of music and still do. And then being English um, and a Londoner, I've, I have a deep relationship with reggae music. So they grew up listening to a lot of that. And so, mm-hmm. so they are very well schooled in, um, in music, you know. Mm-hmm. So they have a great background. And uh, I would say my oldest boy is Jack. His all-time favorite is probably James Brown. Oh, wow. And Charlie, the younger one, he's a gorillas guy. You know gorillas, that. I know the gorillas. Yeah, yeah, he's a gorillas. Guy. So, um, do, do so. Music was a big part of uh, their growing up. Is that something that you guys all share now? And do you go to be- see bands or how? No, does it, how I, does I kind of. I'm. I'm afraid. I'm one of these people. Uh, I'm a bit of an ageist, uh-huh. in the sense that. Um, I kind of think, you know, like when your kids are going out, they want to go out with their friends. Their of mates. course. They don't want you there. Yeah. And, and I, talked, I talked to a friend of mine about this sometimes because he was a, in Detroit, a David Bowie fan, you know. And how, like, when we were kids and we went to, to concerts, you know, it was just kids, you know. Um, when I would go and see The Faces, I mean, I don't think there was anybody, like, older than 20 in the no, audience. Right. yeah. I would reckon the average age would have been about 15 to 17, well, no, and, I know. And, and and there's an energy. There's an energy in that. You know, it creates a whole other a whole other thing. Well, and um it's not the same when it's a bunch of fifty, sixty year old guys standing around and God bless them and they're entitled to go and they should go. But it's not that kind of wild, pumped up thing that um that, 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 like when you're 14 and you're seeing Pete Townsend do windmills and Keith Moon kick over the drum kit, you know, <laughs> and you're going completely nuts, you know? Yeah, well, you know, this generation doesn't have the same sense of rebellion, I think, that our generation has. They like their parents. Like, your kids probably like, I mean, they may not want to go to a concert with you, but they probably like spend. they like hanging out yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, it's about, you know, I don't, yeah. Different. I'm, it's different. It's different. It's different because, yeah, also there's not, you know, the world is different. Music does not, for most young people now, mean what it did when when I was a kid. You yeah, know? I mean, like right. in, in, in the early 70s, the information was there. You know, the clothes, the music, you know, the politics. It was all coming out of music. That was what was really happening. That was the main, the main source, you know? And I think like now... It's just more diverse, and there's not the same intensity. As much as my boy likes the gorillas, he's not as fanatical as... And, and that's probably a good thing. Well, you know what? we got 40 seconds left, and I want to say thank you for being such a charismatic uh, guest today. I really enjoyed having you on, and I want to make sure that um, people know about your Instagram, so let me read it. It's Cisco Kid vs. Donald Trump. C-I-S... C-O-K-I-D-V-S, Donald Trump. And your website is CiscoKidVSDonaldTrump.com. So if you uh, would like to uh, check out um, um, Cisco's work. That'd be great. (laughs) Please do that. And it's also on my Facebook page. And uh, send us any questions to... uh, uh,